Lesson 5 for April 23 through to 29, The Seen and the Unseen War. Sabbath afternoon, April 23. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come once again to open your word, and as we do so, we do it in awe and reverence because of who you are and the message that it contains for us. And as we look at the life of Jesus and how it influenced others, we pray that our lives may be an influence this very day in his dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Let's read that again, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Each day, we make important choices about lifestyle, relationships, careers, priorities, entertainment, and friends. To truly comprehend the significance of these choices, we need to make sure we understand what they are really about. We need to pull back the curtain and see the unseen, for the Bible teaches that there is an unseen reality that greatly impacts what we do see. Living in the age of science, we shouldn't have a hard time believing in invisible realities. We, who know about X-rays, radio waves and wireless communication, should easily believe in what we cannot see. With every cell phone call we make or receive, or with any satellite communication we watch, we are working on the assumption of unseen realities that make the seen and heard experiences real. Indeed, the great controversy between Christ and Satan forms the unseen background to the world of the seen that we experience every day. This week, we will examine texts from Matthew and elsewhere that help to reveal these unseen forces and how they impact our lives and choices here on earth. Sunday, April 24, Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Scripture is the Word of God, and in it the plan of salvation is made clear. Yet some texts can be difficult to understand. This, though, should not be surprising. After all, in every aspect of natural life we find things hard to understand. How much more so will it be with parts of the Word of God, which reveal to us spiritual and supernatural truths and realities. Ellen White expressed this concept so clearly. From Steps to Christ, page 106 and 107, the very humblest forms of life present a problem that the wisest of philosophers is powerless to explain. Everywhere are wonders beyond our ken. Should we then be surprised to find that in the spiritual world also there are mysteries that we cannot fathom? The difficulty lies solely in the weakness and narrowness of the human mind. God has given us in the Scriptures sufficient evidence of their divine character, and we are not to doubt His word because we cannot understand all the mysteries of His providence. End of quote. For instance, 
One of the most challenging texts in all Scripture is Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, which in the NIV reads, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Question. Read through these verses. What do you understand about them, and what don't you understand? Let's read that again. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen an anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Some translations of verse 12 read, as in the ISV, From the days of John the Baptist until the present, the kingdom from heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people have been attacking it. And in the New Living Testament it reads, And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. What is Jesus saying to us here? So to finish today, what things, even in secular life, remain mysteries to us? Do we stop believing, for instance, in the existence of the sun, simply because of the many mysteries about it that we don't understand? How much more so, then, with questions of faith and the Word of God? Monday, April 25, The Frontiers of Darkness Bible students through the ages have struggled with Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 because the words that describe the kingdom and the people here can be used in either a positive or a negative sense. The Greek verb basmati can mean either forcefully advancing or suffering violence. And the Greek word biastes can mean forceful or eager men, or violent men. So, does this verse mean that the meek and the mild kingdom of heaven is suffering violence, that violent people are attacking it? Or, is the kingdom of heaven forcefully advancing in a positive sense, and the forceful men seizing it are actually followers of Christ? Is it possible for followers of Christ to be this aggressive, even forceful in their pursuit of the kingdom? Question. Read the following texts. What are they saying that could shed some light on the last question asked above? Well, first of all, we'll look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 35. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And Revelation chapter 5 verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And Micah chapter 2 and verse 13. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out of it. 
their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. Some have argued that the most likely interpretation of Matthew 11.12 is to apply the most common uses of Beazamai, typically positive, and Beastes, typically negative, giving us this interpretation. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing with, as uh, D.A. Carson writes in the Expositor's Bible Commentary with the New International Version, holy power and magnificent energy that has been pushing back the frontiers of darkness, and while this is happening, violent or rapacious men have been trying to plunder it. This interpretation appears to ring true to the wider Gospel of Matthew. In fact, this interpretation also captures the bigger picture, that of the struggle between light and darkness, between Christ and Satan, a theme that permeates the Bible but is made explicit in the New Testament. There is indeed a war, seen and unseen, in which we are all involved, in which we all take a side, in which we all experience every day, regardless of how much we do or do not understand what's going on. This is what living amid the great controversy is all about. Tuesday, April 26, The Warfare Worldview Whatever the ultimate meaning of Matthew 11.12, as we saw yesterday, it does help to reveal the reality of the great controversy. It depicts a struggle, a battle, and, as we know from other Bible texts, this battle is, at the core, the one between Christ and Satan. Question what do the following texts tell us about in view of the reality of the great controversy? First of all, Matthew chapter 12, verses 25 to 29. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will this kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. And Isaiah chapter 27 and verse 1. In that day the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. And First John chapter 5 and verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And Genesis chapter 3 verses 14 to 19. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, 
and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And then Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." These are just a few of many more texts, both in the Old and New Testament, that refer to what one contemporary non-Adventist theologian has called the warfare worldview, the idea that there is a battle going on between supernatural powers in the cosmos, a warfare in which we are all in one way or another involved. This notion, of course, is not new to Seventh-day Adventists. It has been part of our theology from the earliest days of our church. Indeed, our pioneers held to it even before our church itself was officially formed. And so to finish today, in what ways do you see the reality of this struggle expressed in your own life? How is it being played out in the choices you have to make and in the temptations you face? How can your understanding the reality of this conflict help you to make the right choices and to resist temptation? Wednesday, April 27, when the battle gets nasty. As we've already seen, the words of Jesus in Matthew 11:12, however deep, do reveal the fact that the kingdom of God isn't going to be established without a struggle or without a fight. That fight, we understand, is the great controversy, and it has been and still is raging. It will until the final destruction of sin, Satan, and the lost. And at times it can and does get very nasty along the way. We can see the reality of the great controversy and just how nasty it can become in the context in which Jesus himself said what he did in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12. Question. 
Read Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 right through to 12. How do we see the reality of the great controversy here being played out on a number of levels? That is, how does the great controversy help us to make sense of what is happening here? Beginning at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 11. Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For starters, who do we think inspired the leaders to put John in jail? We can see here Satan's attempt not only to stop John, but to discourage faith in Jesus. After all, if John, Jesus' forerunner, met such a fate, what could one hope for Jesus himself? Then, too, there's no question that Satan could have made the followers of Jesus and John ask themselves the question, If this Jesus of Nazareth can do so many wonderful things and has so much power, then why is he letting such a faithful and good man as John, his cousin, rot in jail? Also, who do we think was putting the doubts in John's head? Why am I here? Why doesn't he free me? Hence, no wonder he asked in Matthew 11.3, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Remember, this is the same John who baptized Jesus, who saw, as it says in Matthew 3.16, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and who heard the voice from heaven declare in the next verse, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, though with all that had happened, he becomes filled with doubts. Of course, as bad as John's situation was, it was at least for the short term going to get worse, which could only continue to feed more doubt as we read in Mark chapter 6 verses 25 to 28. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. 
So to finish today, if anything is causing you to doubt now, what can you focus on, dwell on and pray about that will push the doubt away and help you to realise all the wonderful reasons you have to trust in the goodness of God? Thursday, April 28, A Lost Cause All through history, humans have engaged in warfare. Something in human nature causes the people of one group to want to plunder, pillage and slaughter those of another. In a book about her father, British philosopher Bertrand Russell, Catherine Tate wrote about her father's concern at the outbreak of World War I regarding the joy in the streets of England at the prospect of war with Germany. She says in My Father Bertrand Russell, page 45, he had grown up with an optimistic Victorian belief in automatic progress, with the confidence that the whole world would, in its own good time, follow the wise course of the English, from ancient brutality to civilised self-government. Then, suddenly, he found his own beloved compatriots dancing in the streets at the prospect of slaughtering great numbers of fellow human beings who happened to speak German. End of quote. Multiply this same idea over history among almost all people, and we see the reality of fallen human nature in one of the most consequential and tragic forms. Now, in most of these human wars, no one knew the outcome beforehand. People went to battle not knowing if they would be on the winning or losing side. In the warfare worldview of our cosmos, we have one great advantage. We know which side has already won. Christ has won the decisive victory for us. After the cross, no question remained about who is the victor and who can share in the fruits of that victory. Satan's cause is indeed a lost cause. Question. What do the following texts tell us about the outcome of the great controversy? Well, first of all, we'll look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 20 through to 27. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. 
And Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to you, inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. And that verse from Revelation 20 verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Just as Satan lost the war in heaven, he lost the war on earth as well. But with hatred and vengeance, he's still seeking all whom he may devour, as we read in 1 Peter 5 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. However complete Christ's victory, the battle still rages, and our only protection is to place ourselves, mind and body, on the winning side. And we do that by the choices we make every day. Are we making choices that put us on the winning side, where the victory is assured for us, or on the losing side, where defeat is certain? On the answer to this question, our eternal destiny hangs. Friday, April 29. Who among us doesn't know the reality of the great controversy? We know about this war because we feel it inside us on a daily basis. We live in a broken world, a world cursed with anxiety and pain, a world where a serpent isn't limited to one tree in the middle of a garden, but where the entire garden has been overrun with serpents. A world full of the whispers of temptation that come in all sorts of ways and that so easily ensnare those who are not diligent in faith and in prayer. No wonder Jesus said, watch and pray, lest we fall into the many snares that await us. And, of all the snares, perhaps the most dangerous one for the Christian is believing the lie that says, when you succumb to temptation, you've gone too far. There is no God of grace that will welcome you back into his arms. Who hasn't, at one time or another, heard that voice whispering in his or her ears? In one sense, that sentiment is right. When you fall into temptation, even once, you have gone too far to ever get yourself back. That's exactly why Jesus came, won the victory for us where we all have failed, and then offers his triumph to us. This is what the whole gospel is about, Jesus doing for us in the great controversy what we could never do for ourselves. At the same time too, though, we have to choose daily, hourly, moment by moment, to place ourselves on his side. And we do that by obeying his word and by claiming the promises of victory that he has assured to us we can have, the whole time leaning only upon his merits for us as the surety of our salvation. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, what are some of the other physical realities that exist all around us and yet that are completely inaccessible in our sense and perceptions? Again, how should this reality help open our minds to the existence of other forces and powers that we simply cannot see? 
How can our realization of the existence of these unseen realities help us to understand the reality of the great controversy? 2. Many Christians do not believe in or have any concept of the great controversy worldview. What reasons might they have for not seeing it? What arguments might they throw out at you and against it? And how would you answer them? If you were to give someone a study on the great controversy, what text would you use? And three, how do you deal with the question of why we are still here so long after Jesus won the victory on the cross? After his death and resurrection and ascension, why didn't Jesus just come back and destroy the devil once and for all? Inside Story The Amazing Ride Part 3 In Part 3 we complete the stories from the Solomon Islands as told by Carol Boehm. In 1986, Christine became a Seventh-day Adventist. Her family was horrified, especially her brother. She was disowned and told to leave the village. She went to study nursing at Atawifi, our Adventist hospital on the island of Malaita in the Solomon Islands. Little did she know that her parents mourned deeply for her. Later, when Christine returned home, everyone in the village welcomed her, except her brother. He told everyone that the Adventist church would be thrown into the mangroves. This was the stretch of beach used as toilets for the village. For more than twenty years he interrogated Christine about her beliefs and beat her mercilessly. One day, as she noticed a bush knife sitting beside her brother, she told him, Even if you chop my head off, I won't renounce my beliefs. He beat her fiercely. Christine was black and blue, but she felt no pain and kept praising God for his goodness. When the wife of the Adventist pastor asked Christine why she kept returning to her village, she simply said, I stopped fearing death or pain a long time ago. These people are my family, and I'm the only Seventh-day Adventist they know. When Christine married, she took her husband Gary, a nurse and Adventist minister, to her village. Villagers were so embarrassed about the beatings that they allowed Gary to run a church mission and agreed to let the Adventists build some pit latrines. This had been a huge need for the people and their hearts began to soften. Eventually, five people from Christine's village were baptised in the water at the end of a pier that separates the now unused men's and women's mangrove areas. The devil may have wanted to throw Adventists into the putrid water, but God had other plans. Because of this dear woman's faithfulness, her entire village is opening up to Jesus. The Baum family moved to the Solomon Islands in 2011 for what they thought would be five years. But the Lord had other plans. During their two years there, Wayne served as the president of the Solomon Islands Mission and Carol homeschooled her eldest son and introduced CHIP, Complete Health Improvement Program, to the city of Honiara. From the Solomon Islands, the Boehms were called to Fiji where Wayne served as secretary of the Trans-Pacific Union Mission. They are now in Sydney, Australia, where Wayne serves as manager of Hope Channel, where this podcast comes to you from. 
This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.